welcome to this King's Church talk. We hope that you really enjoy it. If you have any questions, please email us on admin at kingscc.org or you can go to the website www.kingscc.org. Thank you. If you'd um, like to turn in your Bibles to Micah, uh, always a tricky one to find in the Old Testament, don't be afraid of using the index. It's kind of what it's there for. And Micah. <clears throat> and we'll, these next th- few weeks, it's, uh, we're, we're very much kind of wanting to recognise it's this Advent time of leading into Christmas. And we're going to do some very specific uh, preparing for Christmas preaches. Although Advent actually is more than that. I'm going to mention that uh, a bit later. But actually, we're going to open up some of the Bible verses some of them in the Old Testament that speak so clearly about everything that actually Lynn encouraged us in at the end of the worship, saying it's a gift, and the gift is Jesus, okay? And we want to see where we can read and see uh, and, and pick up some new stories. So Micah, uh, chapter 2, to begin with, verse 12. I will surely gather all of you, Jacob, I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. The king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. And then just to kind of, Stitch on to that, chapter 5 and verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Epaphrathah. Oh, well done. You've practiced that. Um, Though I'm not going to repeat it. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labour bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. (laughs) Quite a remarkable um, section of scripture in this prophetic, uh, the prophetic writings, this prophetic oracle really, set of oracles from Micah. First of all, who was Micah? Well, we know this about him. His name meant, who is like Yahweh? It was a name that asked the question, who is like Yahweh? Who is like this God? And fascinatingly, that through his writings, we get very clear revelation of who God is. He answers the question that his name suggests. In fact, if you were to look at the end of Micah, um, you find, without giving a spoiler, he actually finishes in Micah by saying, who is, I'm putting, where's this verse? You've got to trust me on this one. 
Okay, but he actually puts a verse of, who is a God like you? In fact, it's verse 18 of the last chapter. Who is a God like you? And he goes on to talk about what this God is like. And there are two big themes that describe this God. One is this, there is a God of judgment. And the second one is this, he is a God who forgives. And we need to hear both. Because if we focus on forgiveness without seeing the reality of God's judgment, we dilute it. We rub it. We somehow kind of make it into something that's more human and less godlike. Forgiveness must be understood against the backdrop of God's judgment. And we need the revelation of God in both those ways. It's almost like we need the, I guess most of you this morning got up and cleared the ice of your windscreen. You wouldn't have thought of driving without clearing the ice, would you? <laughs> Just checking. Okay. Little window through. Okay. But you clear the ice before you drive. And what we need sometimes is we need the heat of the prophets or we need the the clarity of some of these truths we read about in the prophets to scrape the ice of our thinking so we can see things clearly for what they are. God is a God of judgment and he is a God of forgiveness. And the issue, really, that there was a problem, okay, there was a problem with the people, the people of God. And it's summed up in one word, it's called sin. Now at this point, you could well press the pause button or raise your hand and say, look, Roger, isn't this meant to be about Advent? You know, we're getting ready for Christmas. Why talk about sin leading into Christmas? Isn't Christmas meant to be the nice, cuddly, warm, isn't it a nice time when we get around log fires if you've got one or put a pretend one on if you haven't. Is it about nice thoughts? Well, the problem is that's what the world has made Christmas. We need a biblical understanding of why Jesus came. In fact, it was an angel, when an angel appeared to Joseph, who was, as you know, engaged to Mary, he actually says, your, Mary, your betrothed, will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus. Why? He will save his people from their sins. The Christmas story is about a saviour coming who's going to save from sin. And we can't understand the full impact of Christmas without understanding there's this issue called sin. Now, in Micah's time, and I'm going to do a bit of a kind of headlines here. We're not going to obviously read through the whole thing. But there's a list of the sins. And just listen to them, okay? Sins in Micah's time included this. Idolatry. Coveting and stealing other people's property. The failure of civil leadership to govern 
for the good of the people. Wait. <laughs> the failure of religious leadership. There's a verse tucked away halfway through. Is this. Her leaders judge, civil leadership, her leaders judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for a price. And the prophets tell fortunes for money. In other words, self-serving leadership. Elsewhere, you can read in the book, people took God's message and they twisted it into a message for personal gain. They made it fit their circumstances. Personal religion was more important than justice and humility. And finally, there was dishonest business practice. Quite a list, eh? And what a jolly good job is not like that today. <laughs> or is it? That's why these prophetic books, they kind of shake us awake a bit. Think, hold on. With all the development of technology and with all the, you know, education and, and, and kind of everything that's happened in terms of civilization since these days, kind of mid, mid when were they? About mid, 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 four, 400, mid 300s BC. That actually all the advance that's been made from there, one thing has not changed and it's this, the human heart. It's not change. And the same root issues keep presenting themselves. We can still serve idols. We can still make things or people more important than God in our lives. We can still covet what belongs to other people. Leadership can still be self-serving. We can still make things all about me. We can still be dishonest in business. We can still take, take God's message and twist it to just make it into a message that makes me feel better. And miss the big issues of justice and mercy. The hard-hitting message of Micah could not be more relevant for today, for Christmas, and for 2020. There's a challenge. There's a problem. But there's an answer. Okay? There's an answer. And we get the, uh, uh, an amazing promise that First of all, in chapter 3 of chapter 5, talks about a place, Bethlehem. It's a real place, but you, Bethlehem, <laughs> the Bible is set in places. It's a real story. It's about real people. You can visit places like Bethlehem today. It's not, the Bible isn't a book of just spiritual principles. There's geography to it. There's history to it. God came down to earth, a place 
called Bethlehem. And it's vital we see that. And he's coming again to earth. The Bible says that as clearly as it talks about Bethlehem and we live this side of that, it has happened. We know that's true. Also, the Bible says as clearly he is coming again. And that's the other half of the Advent story. Often, you know, if you go back into church history, when Advent was put there in the church calendar, it wasn't only about the first coming of Jesus, it was about his second coming. And somehow in our thinking, we've reduced it just to, oh, it's just about Christmas. It's not. It's about the second coming. This king is coming again. And he will gather his forgiven ones, but he will bring judgment. He's coming to earth again. It's a real place. And Bethlehem is a little town. <laughs> you got that. Oh, little, what is it? Uh, though you are small among the clans. And it, it's, um, I think the ESV puts that slightly differently. It just it uses that word, you, you who are too little. Yeah. It is, oh, little town of Bethlehem. God chooses to reveal himself in small, insignificant, overlooked places. It's the way he does it. There was nothing impressive about Bethlehem. There was no palace there. The temple wasn't there. It's just a little town. It's how God works. He chooses the unimpressive. He chooses the overlooked. He chooses... Those who ignored. We can read about that in Corinthians. It's how he chose us. There was nothing about us to impress God, in case you need convincing about that. But Paul does remind us. He says this, brothers and sisters, think of what you owe when you were called. Not many of us were wise by human standards. Not many influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one might boast before him. This is how God works. He chooses the insignificant, the weak, the overlooked, the little ones. The little town. Is this exciting? Yeah. Good, thank you. Okay. This is thrilling. I, look, it's how this reveals the heart of God. His ways. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Not, oh, grand, big, impressive one. Jesus does it a different way. God's not impressed by what impresses us. Power, prestige, wealth, privilege. God looks on the heart. And then we find that, that Bethlehem is also a town with history. Because actually, if you were to turn the clock back from when Michael was prophesying this, you turn back, I think, about three centuries before that. And there's a story unfolding there. 
where God sends a prophet, another prophet, Samuel, to, guess where? Bethlehem. He should find this guy, Jesse, who has these sons. And these sons line them up. And Jesse lines up his impressive sons. Because one of them is going to be a king. And Jesse goes down the line. Oh, Samuel goes down the line. Is it this one? Is it that one? Is it that one? He's big. He's bold. He looks a king. He'd do well. He's good at sport. He goes down the whole line of, of sons. And it's none of them. God says, it's another. And look who it is. Someone who's overlooked, who's ignored. A shepherd boy out on the hillside. David. And it's out of Bethlehem comes this king. The king is chosen. And guess what? He's a shepherd. And he's destined to rule. And in that time, we get this coming together of shepherding, which had been there all the way throughout the Old Testament. But suddenly we get this shepherding coming together with ruling. A shepherd king. A shepherd ruler. David. And now, Michael, all these centuries on, it's prophesying, there's going to be someone else from Bethlehem, and guess what? He's going to be like David, but greater than David. Because his kingdom isn't just going to be about this place on planet Earth, it's going to be about the whole Earth. The whole Earth. It actually says there, Micah, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. This shepherd king who is born in Bethlehem, his reign will reach to the whole of the earth. This is an exciting, ongoing saga of Bethlehem. Let's see it. Real places, real people, real history, real story. The greater part yet to be fulfilled with the whole earth being impacted by the glory of God. Bethlehem, the place. And then we read about the person. Okay, so let's fast forward now, go through the pages of, of the Bible, and, and we come to shepherds, interestingly. Shepherds. And they're looking after their flocks on, in nearby fields. Nearby to where? To Bethlehem. And suddenly the sky erupts. It just explodes with angelic visitation. It erupts with the glory of God. This is a night like no other. The sky is filled and the, and the angels are just declaring the, the glory of God. And then they say, they, one of them speaks to the shepherds who must have been terrified and said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a.k.a. Bethlehem, a saviour has been born. And these shepherds go, they're one of the first visitors, they go there. The shepherds come to see this baby who is Christ the Lord, Christ the King. Micah's word has come true. The baby is born in Bethlehem. And he's born a ruler. The shepherd king is born. 
as a ruler. So we turn the clock forward, we run the clock forward even more, and we get to his Jesus in his ministry, as we read about in the Gospels. And he is talking about a kingdom. A kingdom. He's a ruler. He's a king. And he's got a message. It's about a kingdom. He, he hasn't come just to make things a little bit better. He's come to turn things totally inside out. And in fact, it's almost the complete opposite of what was happening in Micah's day. Because what was happening in Micah's day was actually happening in those days when Jesus was alive. And you've got the Roman Empire, and you've got religious leaders who were self, self-serving. You've got, you've got the Roman Empire, that leadership that's being exercised was like Micah's time. History's just being repeated all the time. And Jesus comes, and he's got another message. It's not about self-serving. It's about being a servant. This isn't a prophet. Jesus is a prophet. It's not about him being a prophet that makes himself rich. This is the one who gave himself everything, even his own life. This is the one whose message isn't taken from God and somehow manipulated to use for personal gain. This is one whose message can be utterly trusted. It's true. This ruler can be trusted. This is one who lays down his life and he takes this problem of sin that deserves judgment. Jesus takes that number one issue upon himself and he carries the very judgment of God on the cross so that we now can be totally forgiven. I'll just say that once more. Okay. He takes... The biggest issue this world has ever seen, sin, which deserves the judgment of God, he takes that upon himself on the cross. He dies the death we deserve and God's judgment is poured out on him. He takes our sin so that we can be totally, utterly forgiven. It's glorious. That's Advent. This is Christmas. This is... This is where we think, yeah, it is serious. God is a God of judgment, but God forgives. And it's not just, oh, I turn a blind eye. This isn't just a, a Father Christmasy Santa sort of forgiveness. Oh, it, don't worry, it didn't really matter. No, it did matter. The cross showed how it mattered. But that's where forgiveness is beyond anything we can imagine. And you know, the end of Micah, when he gets to, as it were, the punchline about his name. Who is a God like you? In verse 18, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. That's what happens on the cross. There's the outpouring of God's delight. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Remarkable. And then 
he goes on to say, you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Okay? You go to Allenby. Okay? You walk along the beach there, you look out at the sea. What do you see? The sea. Yeah, what do you see? The sea. Okay? It's not clever, it's not a trick. You don't see what's under the sea. That's the thing about the sea. You just see the sea. You just see. There could be all sorts of things. There could be shopping trolleys under there. There might be, you know, you name it. There might be all, all stuff under the sea. You don't see it. That's what he's done with our iniquity, with our sin. He's hurled it. <laughs> and from now on, we look and see the sea. Our sin is truly covered. And we're not to go diving. <laughs> That's the kingdom. This is the king who rules with justice and mercy. And he's our shepherd. Our shepherd king. And again, if you look at just the stories in the Gospels... You really do see the shepherd in action. You know, sometimes a lot of us would be familiar with uh, John, I think it's John chapter 10, which where Jesus speaks to himself, saying, I am the good shepherd. And we think maybe that's the one reference about Jesus being the shepherd. But actually the whole story of Jesus and the disciples and the crowds, and that is an unfolding of a shepherd. He calls his disciples to what? Follow. The shepherd king. He calls to follow. He teaches people. He feeds people with truth. And you can visit the Sermon on the Mount and you can read about there and remarkably... Again, you can take all those things in Micah that I listed and you could actually t- turn them inside out and you get the message of the Sermon on the, or you get the message of the Sermon on the Mount. Instead of idolatry, follow Jesus, seek first his kingdom. Instead of coveting, stealing from others, it's give to others. Instead of pompous, self-serving leadership, it's leadership that serves. Instead of dishonesty, let your light shine that others might see your good works. Jesus, the shepherd ruler, is feeding the people with another message. The shepherding kingdom message. He actually physically feeds them. He looks out in the crowd, at one point, and they're hungry. What's he do? He gets them to sit on the green grass. He leads me beside green pastures. He gets them to sit on the green grass and he breaks the bread. He feeds. It's a shepherding moment. He overcomes the work of the enemy. He releases people from the things that oppress them. He gives them a table to sit at. 
in the presence of their enemies. You see, you could take the whole of Psalm 23 and you could superimpose that over the Gospels and say, this is Jesus in action. Lord's my shepherd, I follow him. I will lack nothing. No, it's my head with oil. He gives me a table in the presence of my enemies. Even through life's darkest moments, Jesus is there. Even through the valley of the shadow of the grief, he is there. It's Jesus who's with us. Why? He's our shepherd. He's our shepherd ruler. He has authority. He's a shepherd who has authority. And he's a king who exercises authority in a shepherding way. This is Jesus. When Lynn just uh, ended and just, you know, just so healthy, just spoke out into our worship, saying, this is the gift. This is Jesus. This is what Jesus is like. Born in Bethlehem, our shepherd king. He rules. Of the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. Let's have that. Let's get all the ice of our windscreen. Let's think, yeah, we're not just three weeks of Christmas. Go do this, go do that, whatever. No, let's think beyond Christmas, he's coming again. Let's hear this. As we go into 2020, genuinely believe, as a nation, we're going to be in for more rocky times. More turbulent times. Where's our vision? Who are we looking to? It's Jesus. The one born in Bethlehem. Shepherd King. But let's know his shepherding in our lives. Right now, let's know it. Let's know it. Let's know it. Do you feel oppressed? You're surrounded by enemies. Do you feel... He gives a table in the presence of enemies. He releases you from that control of oppression. That's what he does. Walking through a valley, whether it's grief or whether it's just a valley, a deep, dark valley, it could be depression. It's with you. It's a shepherd, shepherd. He says this, goodness and mercy will follow you every day of your life. Do you need his provision? He's a shepherd. I shall not want. Are you deeply weary? He leads beside still Waters. He's a shepherd. But he's a shepherd with authority to lead us in the ways of his kingdom. Let's pray together. Just um, feel that as I was preparing, that there are folks here this morning, you you just need really to know a very specific touch of the shepherd. Um, you need to know 
actually felt there was some, it's like you are oppressed. It's almost like the enemy is like, you feel things are closing in on you. And it's actually produced real anxiety and real fear uh, and real worry. And, and God wants to, you to know that there's a, a table, a table, a table in the presence of your enemies. He wants to just release something in you even today. I believe that there's some who are, a valley is just the best way of describing your life at the moment and for all sorts of reasons. And God wants to know, God wants you to know he really is with you. He's not there on the kind of valley sides, heights, looking down, seeing if you're going to make it through. He's not there at the end. He's not let you go. He's with you right now. There's a beautiful ministry of the shepherd just coming, touching right now. I believe just where Paul led us to the end of the worship of just making that fresh step, literally physical step saying, Lord I'm yours. I want to follow you. He wants us to really hear this and see this. You know, we'll see all sorts of Christmas cards, scenes, and there, there will be the stable, there will be the manger, there will be, oh, it's Bethlehem. Let's not domesticate Bethlehem. Let's see if what it is, the real cradle, the real cradle where a saviour was born. A sin gets revealed for what it is. But God's mercy, God's forgiveness will triumph. It will triumph. God doesn't want us doubtful of who he is. I must feel a, a sense in my heart that there'd be even that phrase, what is God like? That'd be a question we might be asked ourselves by different people in these coming months, coming year. What is our God like? Well, he's like this. His name is Jesus. Jesus.